Hello and welcome to the Starship Zero G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1433 entitled Slash It's Quarry. It's a bit of a stretch, but you'll see where that's coming from. Uh, The podcast title is In New York, No One Can Hear You Scream. I am Megan McHugh, and I am here flying solo on Zero-G today, so no Rob today, Uh, and so I've taken the opportunity to give the show a little bit of a theme of uh, a couple of things I've checked out recently, which all fall firmly into a bit of a horror genre. So this week's theme is Slasher Double Feature. Uh, I'm going to be taking a stab at the latest in the Scream franchise, Scream 6. And also recently I completed the video game The Quarry, which is a playable teen slasher film. It's a game, but it's pretty much a teen slasher film that you can have a little bit of interaction with. And the main thing is your decisions decide the fate of each of the teen characters. So of the core nine or so that you're following, uh, they can all live or die based on how you do as part of the game. So you'll find out how I did. And spoiler alert, it was not very good. (laughs) Uh, But first, what we wanted to do was do a little bit of an Oscars 2023 rundown. The Oscars happened last week. So we just wanted to have a quick mention up top uh, about the ceremony and the winners. Uh, I mean, the Oscars, in my opinion, have been gradually becoming a little less and less relevant every year. However, However, that did not mean that a la 2020 when Parasite took away Best Picture, I didn't get a big old proud Asian tear in my eye when everything ever all at once uh, swept the night and took home seven Oscars, including the Big Dog Oscars, Best Picture and Best Director or Directors in this case, uh, and also three of the big acting categories for Kihui Kwan, he's been sweeping the award circuit, so no surprises there. Same for Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Lee Curtis as well. The other two trophies that they took home were Best Original Screenplay and Best Film Editing. Uh, I personally feel that this award season has been a very wholesome one, something that we needed, and I've enjoyed seeing the press tours of all of the faves kind of having these really lovely interactions with each other and just trying to bring the feel-good back into things after the incident last year. Uh, so, And I think a lot of the good vibes are due to the Comeback Kings, Ki Huey Kwan and Brendan Fraser, of course. Uh, Shout-outs to all the talent that was nominated from Ireland this year as well. And uh, pretty happy with a lot of the Oscar results and and a lot of the hype that's been surrounding uh, everywhere, everywhere, every oh god, everything everywhere all at once. Uh, other wins from the ceremony include the Indian action film Ah Ah Ah, very topical, uh, whose original song Natu Natu took away best original song, and also best animated feature went to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, and Avatar: The Way of Water did swim away with best visual effects. Uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Uh, while Angela Bassett did miss out on supporting actress, uh, the film did win for best costume design. There were some great costumes in that too, so I approve. Uh, To segue from the Oscars rundown into the main portion of the show, I think we're going to, we must riff off of Jamie Lee Curtis's best supporting actress win, the Scream Queen herself. Um, We'll head back to where it all started with the theme to John Carpenter's 1978 film Halloween. This is actually the rescored version that appeared in the 2018 reboot Halloween, also relevant to us here today because we'll be talking about Scream, which is sort of having its reboot era now. So the 2018 film Halloween did star Jamie and was very good in my opinion, actually, and rebooted that franchise a bit for a new era. There's been a couple of sequels as well to that one. So I thought this might be a fitting note to kick off our horror slasher show. So we're going to listen to Halloween theme. This is the version by John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter and 
Daniel Davies. Hi, I'm Andrea Thompson, and I play Talia Winters, resident commercial telepath on Babylon 5. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R, and I know what you're thinking. Yes, indeed. Welcome back to Zero G. I am Megan McHugh. I hope that Halloween theme got you feeling nice and tense and frightened. Uh, That was the version by John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter and Daniel Davies for the Halloween film that came out in 2018. So for today's show, get comfortable uh, for our Slasher Double Feature. And first up uh, on the bill is a game called The Quarry. So... This is a video game that was much anticipated, I mean, by me. (laughs) I don't know about anyone else, but I was looking forward to it because I had played and enjoyed the game Until Dawn back in 2015, and we did cover it on Zero G as well, way back when. Uh, And it's a game where you could control the fates of eight teenagers who have to survive a night in like a holiday house, but it's an extremely creepy holiday house in the woods, and there was a tragedy the year before, and it's this whole thing, and your decisions decide who makes it until dawn. So that was until dawn that came out 2015. And you'll notice there's a lot of overlap between that and the game we're going to talk about today, The Quarry. So similarly, The Quarry is an interactive horror narrative game. It is developed by Supermassive Games and in this instance published by 2K Games. So the interesting thing about, I think it's interesting, Supermassive Games is that they've made a lot of this kind of game for different publishers. So they did make Until Dawn as well and they made that for Sony and then I had to pull that out of my brain and then they also have made games in the Dark Pictures anthology which has a kind of a similar bent to it it's a little more interactive in those games and they're also narrative horror ones set in different settings you have to make decisions and control the characters there's one kind of set on a abandoned ghost ship there's one in a creepy small town that kind there's one at the I think the hotel where all of those were um world fair murders happened so those ones are man of medan little hope house of ashes and the devil in me and there's plenty more of those anthology games planned uh, that supermassive has developed for bandai namco So Supermassive is very well versed in this kind of narrative horror shtick Uh, and this game The Quarry is the spiritual successor to the game Until Dawn so they've really drawn a lot of their inspiration from what they did in Until Dawn and given it a bit more of a spin. Uh, Until Dawn did star a couple of names so one thing that's interesting is often these games will star known actors doing the motion capture and voices. Until Dawn did star Rami Malek and Hayden Panettiere which is a bit of a cross link in our show tonight uh, because she also appeared in the Scream franchise. So the quarry uh, is set, the setting that we're at where this horror is going to unfold is a summer camp called Hackett's Quarry. It looks like a honestly terrible summer camp that I would just never want to go to. Uh, Very creepy. Obviously, for the game, children are gone. Summer is over and it is abandoned. Uh, And personally, I feel it's, you know, there's like cups strewn everywhere. It's a huge mess. I don't know how they, you know, this summer camp survives for multiple reasons, as you find out as you play through the game. So even though everyone has mostly deserted the camp, a group of ragtag camp counsellors, our teens in question, remain for an extra night because of quote-unquote reasons. I won't go into it. It's a MacGuffin. Basically, they can't leave. So they decide they're going to stay one extra night. What's the big deal, right? It's just a summer camp. We've been here all summer. We just want to party and have a bonfire. Nothing bad's going to happen. Even though the person who runs the camp seems very unreasonably horrified by the idea that these teens are going to stay on for one extra night. 
uh, I don't know whether it's a spoiler or not, but yes, one extra night at a certain night in the moon cycle. Uh, so Hackett's Quarry, as I've alluded to, has a lot of secrets, both natural and supernatural, and it quickly becomes clear that, yes, the extra night alone at the deserted summer camp, not a great idea, might not work out for all of the characters, or it might, and that depends on you, the player. I'll get a little bit to the gameplay in a second. But it is an ensemble cast, if I guess we're calling it a cast. So there's, in this case, nine different teenagers that you will have an opportunity to control as part of the game. There's a couple of other ragtag adults that appear in the story, including but not limited to some very friendly and, well, friendly, some familiar horror faces. Uh, David Arquette pops up here, another one of our Scream crossover actors. And Ted Raimi, Joxer himself. Uh, Ted Raimi appears in this as well as Sheriff David Arquette plays the camp director, I guess we're calling it. Uh, both of them are Hackett's as well. That's why it's called Hackett's Quarry. So our teenagers in peril include uh, Brenda Song, who's an actress I know. She was in Social Network. Um, she hasn't really been in much other genre stuff, I don't think. Uh, Justice Smith. So he was in Detective Pikachu, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, and also Skylar Gasondo. Uh, he was in Licorice Pizza, Santa Clarita Diet, and a few other things. There's a couple of other. Um, the other actors are quite good. I wouldn't say that I'm familiar with any of the other teen actors. Those are probably the ones that you'd be most likely to be familiar with. So the quarry is available to play on PS4, PS5, Windows, and Xbox One and Xbox Series X and S, if you're interested. I will say it is pretty gory and violent. I mean, it is a horror game, and some of the deaths are pretty gnarly, and there's some real stakes involved. Uh, and it is... The gameplay varies, but it's roughly 10 hours, depend, and that depends on your progress with the game, if people in your party die, <laughs> when they die, and the outcomes and so on. So I think our gameplay was about 10 hours, um, and it is does consist of 10 chapters with a little prologue as well, like a cold open. So it's a pretty long movie, um, if we're thinking of it like a movie, but yes, about 10 hours worth of gameplay. But in my opinion, that kind of whips by in a couple of sessions. So I've sort of rabbited on a little bit about... Uh, setting up our scene for the quarry and I'll talk a little bit about the gameplay and my general thoughts after this let's listen to the quarry main theme this is by Ian Livingston he's a game composer he's worked on games like Forza Horizon the Jumanji video game Lego Marvel's Avengers Battlefield games so he's done a lot of composing in the game space so let's take a listen to his take on the quarry main theme this is Kim Stanley Robinson, author of Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R. Yes, welcome back to Zero G. So we are currently talking about the horror video game, The Quarry. And I gave you a little bit of a background on the setting, abandoned summer camp, the players, nine hapless teenagers. And so I'll tell you a little bit about how to play. So it is interactive, like I mentioned before. They've kind of been building on this concept, I think, a lot over time because, like I said, Supermassive has done a lot of these games. And the game does unfold much like a movie. I know I've said that a million times. But just to be clear, you are not going to be hands-on controller the whole time, fully, <laughs> fully engaged in gameplay. So you can decide how much interaction you want to have. There's actually settings where you can um, dial back like the amount of quick time events that you have to do. If you don't want to do any shooting, you don't have to do that. I mean, there's minimal shooting, but as I found out, it's very consequential shooting. And 
So it really is, should be viewed as like a narrative immersive experience and it is in a way very good for then casual gamers or people who are interested in having this experience but don't really want to do the whole gameplay thing. There's actually a movie mode that you can – where you can just watch it like a movie and you decide what the characters are like because part of the game is you – can decide what how characters develop based on how they react to situations. But you can say, you know, that guy's a tool, she's really nice, blah, 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 up front. And then you just kind of watch it play out and you don't have to make decisions or interact. You basically, I guess, watch this 10-hour movie and you can decide the kind of outcome that you want, whether you want everyone to survive or everyone to die so you can see some of the different outcomes. So I played it, obviously, with the gameplay engaged and... Part of that is the decisions you make. So they do affect the story, um, the relationships you have with other characters and the character development. You get an opportunity to play as each different character as you move through the game. Uh, And it also ultimately affects the ending that you get. So things that you might decide will be you're being pursued and then it'll say, do you run or do you hide? Uh, You're having a conversation and they'll be like, are you how do you react to this person? Are you pissy or are you friendly? Um, you've been stabbed. You pull out the knife or not. So it's that kind of thing. There's also quick time events, which is basically where the game will say, um, you know, hit W key really hard heaps of times. Um, or you have to press left key. You have to press right key. And you can tweak those to make them harder or easier as well. And if you miss making that quick time event, um, you know, it has the consequence. Like they trip over the log instead of jumping over the log. Uh There are, based on all of this, about how you succeed in the quick time events, the decisions you make, whether you find certain clues and evidence, whether you, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, whether you build up alliances or not, uh, there are a possible 186 endings. So that is based on how different things unfold, who survives, all of that kind of thing, which I thought is pretty cool. So... Along the way, you explore the environments. I'm going to say you explore the environments, even though I'm putting that in inverted commas because it is actually just such an annoying mechanic. Uh, you find clues and evidence and you find the, you know, there's all these, there's a story there. You find letters and other things that you can look at if you care about that. Uh, there's also these tarot cards and they unlock these premonitions that might help you avoid making a bad decision. So you can see kind of a glimpse of something that might help you later in the game. So the way that I actually played it, which is a really interesting mode, is this thing called Wolfpack mode, where you can play an online multiplayer with friends. So I played this with a friend and we did it in Wolfpack mode. You can have up to seven other players, but it was just the two of us. And basically the way it works, so it was kind of interesting, the way it works is as each decision comes up, people can vote on that what action they want you to take. So they can um, vote on the response someone makes or that kind of thing. And they can use little clicky pointers to say, go look at this box, go look at that, unlock, look in that bag or whatever. But at least the way we played it, I was kind of controlling moving the character around. Um, But everybody does the quick time events. So if everybody does poorly or um, the majority does poorly, you'll fail that quick time event and then trip over the log or whatever has consequences of that. So that's a really interesting way to play the online multiplayer and I thought it worked really well. Uh, Obviously it works better if you're talking through and discussing the decisions that you want to make and where you think the story is going to go and it's in that way it's a really nice collaborative experience and like a shared way to game Uh, and it is kind of like a movie that you have a little bit of agency in. So there is also a couple of other cool little things that the development team have added in. So there's 
uh, 80s throwback mode where they wear these alternate 80s outfits, um, which is, you know, big nostalgia grab there. There's also a gore fest mode when you're in movie mode where they show you more graphic death cut scenes. And I think there's also this filter mode where you can make it look like an indie film or like a retro film. And so you can change the way the game looks. I thought that was kind of interesting. I think it's interesting they put effort into making these extra modes for people. And I think they're trying to encourage playability, replayability as well, because obviously uh, we completed the game and did not have the ending that I would have liked. I think we had a majority of people didn't make it and they didn't make it in fairly graphic and horrifying ways. And it came, yeah, so I'll, I'll get into that again in a second. But, yes, it was quite disappointing, the outcome. But you are able to... If you throw more money at them, you're able to replay chapters. I think up to three times you can like replay a character death to see if you can get it right the second time. So you have kind of three lives, I guess. And so you can do that by paying or if you complete the game once, uh, when you replay it again, you can unlock the ability to redo chapters or rewind. So I think we will probably have a go and try to get more characters to survive because it really got quite... Uh, hectic towards the end. So yeah, I guess I'll just, I'll move on to my overall thoughts. I did really enjoy playing this. Like I think there's multiple reasons why I think it succeeds. I think it definitely ramps up a lot in the later chapters, eight, nine, and 10, and especially nine and 10. That's where some of our critical decisions came into play and things kind of started to fall apart a little bit. I did enjoy watching the character interactions and they felt surprisingly real and good um, considering it's video game graphics. They're not perfect. I understand a lot of work and effort goes into these things. So I really don't want to rag on the graphics or the game development at all. But I will say there's a couple of character fake, like motion captured faces that I was like, that's a little off. I did feel pretty engaged by the story. I think the setting is fantastic. I like the whole nostalgic summer camp in the woods energy. And I did feel propelled through each chapter wanting to kind of know what's happening they've got a kind like kind of a b story like some weird past threads that i don't know if you needed i don't think the story was particularly original but i think the execution was really good and that kept me engaged it is modern but it does have a retro out of time feeling which is definitely intentional uh it is a paint by numbers monster mystery like i mentioned um but the vibes are cool enough and the execution is good enough that yeah it was good so yeah, in terms of the out-of-time feeling, the developers did say that they were inspired by things like The Hills Have Eyes, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Deliverance, Friday the 13th, Evil Dead. So sort of the teens in the woods. And also there's some locals that come into play in the game. So that's definitely where The Hills Have Eyes kind of stuff comes in. Some of the characters did get more airtime than others, um, but... I think the thing that I would most call out is that they didn't feel stereotypical or cliche. I actually felt the characters were really well considered and I did find some annoying. Like there's this dumb jock and he really is just a dumb jock. He's kind of pathetic. Um, and it's ironic as the girl he's kind of really moon-eyed over is – she's great. She's a kicker. She's like definitely got some stones on her. And so I think it's interesting that the characterization and acting was really well done and that meant that I was much more invested in the relationships. And some of the dialogue is quite good. I definitely let out some legitimate chuckles as we were playing. The chemistry feels real enough considering, like I said before, there's some limitations to the graphics and sometimes that affects things, but the tension was pretty good as well. Like it builds 
everything's quite dark. And so it just builds, builds, builds throughout these chapters and you're thrown into these different abandoned areas and, and that kind of thing. And I do think it, it builds the atmosphere really nicely, which is a shame because I did feel the ending came quite quickly and was a bit of an anti-climax. I don't know if that's because we stuffed up and people just started dying left and right. And so obviously once some characters are dead, the story's got to wrap up. So maybe if we'd succeeded in saving a couple of the characters, we could have had a longer ending or there was a bit more to the story. But it's possible, again, something I'd like to unlock by replaying. Uh, and especially because I felt we'd done a lot of great decision-making up to that point, like, and our outcome came down to one or two kind of yeah, stuff ups, which felt a bit cheap. And, and it was just very, yes, it was tough to bear. Uh, the, oh, I don't even, yeah. Some of the effects, water and fire effects could have been better. Like, I don't want to dwell on that too much. The, I will say in terms of the mechanics though, when you're walking around those environments, it was so clunky and frustrating. You walk at a snail's pace the camera angle is super weird and I just found myself not wanting to explore because it was just such a strange way. It didn't feel like natural movement at all and I just was like, oh, my God, please just find these clues, find that empty syringe. Like, I don't even care. Just get me to the next cutscene, which is the opposite of how I usually operate. Uh, what I will say is the light shading environment's overall mood is excellent. There's an abandoned island which had a really great feel to it and I did think that there's definitely a lot of focus on story and characters here and less on gameplay. Uh, and I could kind of tell that based on, I've played quite a few of their other games. Overall, uh, pretty classic horror stuff uh, in a good way. It felt very inspired and fresh enough because the characters were new and felt very authentic. Overall, super enjoyable experience. I would have liked to have, I mean, maybe it's on me. It's, it's, not, it's not the game, it's me. Would have liked a better ending and better payoff in the final chapters. But again, that's a risk you take when you have this kind of dynamic narrative that a couple of missteps and then certain people get, yeah, this really abrupt ending or kind of abrupt storyline. So uh, I did feel a bit ripped off, but maybe that's on me, the player. And I should stop pointing fingers. So, uh, yeah, final word, The Quarry, definitely recommend. It's available on a lot of platforms, PS, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and on PC. Uh, like I said, there's a mode that you can play with friends online. You can also play, like, couch co-op as well by passing a controller. And I don't know, it has all of that built in as well. Or you can play it solo. Perfectly great. I think the dialogue setting, vibes, and performance were A+. plus. Plot and narrative, tension and payoff lets it down a bit. But overall, would definitely check it out, especially if you liked Until Dawn or are interested in these kinds of narrative horror games. So that was The Quarry. Let's... Um, segue out of that and into our next horrific set of murders by listening to a track that was sort of, um, I think it capped like the cold open of the game. It's a track called Thorn in My Side and it's by Nick Amar, Lucy Underhill and Michael Orchard. Uh, that, is, yeah, concludes our discussion of the, the quarry. This is China Mieville, author of Perdido Street Station and The Scar and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR FM. Yes, you're listening to Zero G. I'm Megan McHugh, and we just wrapped up our number, our first feature in our double slasher feature for the day, the game The Quarry. 
So I was sitting there listening to that track, which was uh, Thorn in My Side by Nick Amar, Lucy Underhill and Michael Orchard. That is the track that plays at the start of the quarry if you were in non-streaming uh, mode, which means they played the non-licensed music. So they did not play the Ariana Grande track that appears in the game if you're playing in uh, non-streaming mode. So... I realized as I was sitting here listening to that that I didn't really tell you a lot about what the plot is and what happens in the game, but I really didn't want to ruin it. And also because it is such a branching storyline, like I said, 186 possible endings, I could say something and then you could just not have that experience and be very confused. But overall, I think you got the top notes. So let's move on. Now we're going to have a little bit of a chat about Scream 6, which was a surprise to me. Uh, YouTube served me the ad for this film not that long ago and I did not realise they were making a sixth film, which is kind of surprising because I love the Scream franchise. I will rave about the Scream franchise to anyone who'll listen, how it is the perfect mix of horror escapism, scariness and fun and silliness, how it kickstarted the new wave of 90s teen horror and how I believe that it's the first real emergent of like emergence of the concept of things being meta, like it was so self-referential and up its own like cultural butt that it is one of the first examples in, of my mind in scripts that was super clever and just, yeah, meta. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, last Halloween, I watched all of them in reverse order so I could get to like watch the first one last, which I think is still the peak of this of the whole series. Uh, and it is one of my favorite films. So it's a legacy to me. It's iconic. Um, it's a Wes Craven classic, of course. And I think one of the best kind of horror cold opens as well, which was also Drew Barrymore's kind of comeback. Like she'd been very quiet on the scene until she was in that scream cold open with the wig, her and the wig. And She'd not been on the scene much and then, yeah, she that was kind of her return to film. And the original Scream uh, came out in 1996 and was set in the small town of Woodsboro, which is in California, I found out. And a serial killer, lovingly known by me as Ghostface, terrorises a bunch of teenagers. <laughs> what else is new? Uh, often calling them first on the phone, asking them a bunch of sassy questions about what's their favourite scary movie and so on. It throws back to references, riffs off and satirizes all of the horror films that came before, many mentions to things like Halloween, Friday the 13th, Psycho, so on and so forth. So since that first film came out in 1996, there was a second film, Hot on Its Heels, in 1997. In this film, Sydney Prescott, who is our final girl, heads off to college and is very much set at this fictional university. Of course, Ghostface has followed her there. Otherwise, we would not have a movie. And then we had a third movie come out quite a few years later in the year 2000. And that was a bit of a riff on the making of there's the in-movie movie franchise called Stab. So we kind of started already in Scream 2, we're capitalizing on the movie version of Scream, which is called Stab, and the third uh, Scream 3 really starts to dig into that whole, the actors of, in the movie, the real people, Hollywood, etc. Uh, Scream 4 set 10 years later and did come out in 2011, roughly 10 years later. So we're really like year for year here. And it did star many of the ingenues of the time in that cold open. I hope I'm using that term correctly. You know, the first bit at the start where, you know, the, the not main characters um, get killed. So that 
start in that first little bit, the likes of like a Lucy Hale, a Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin. That was Scream 4 and that had kind of a young, fresh cast. They were trying to introduce um, sort of some new characters in that one as well. Scream 4 was the last one that was directed by Wes Craven and the last one to be written by Kevin Williamson. Uh, And then another 10 years later, we got Scream. So it's called Scream. It's the fifth film and it was marketed like all good reboots, including the Halloween reboot and just called the same name, (laughs) but with a different release year. That one came out last year, 2022, uh, and is kind of roughly 25 years after uh, the original killings of Scream. So quick succession. Let's capitalize on the success of that film. Requel, reboot whatever it is, Scream 6, here it is, now released, recently released, a mere year later. Uh, All these films, uh, as expected, tap into and subvert the expectations audiences have for things like sequels, trilogies, reboots, requels, and so on, very self-referential. And there's usually at least one scene where a character explains in very um, specific terms what the rules of the movie are and what the audience might expect, and that may or may not play out. So let's talk a bit about this film, uh, Scream 6 or Scream VI. I don't know why we're just going down this route of naming things in this extremely frustrating manner. Uh, the It's like Xbox, like generation naming, totally like rogue. So the directors of Scream 5 uh, have returned again. That is Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillett. So their filmography su- suggests that there's some dyed-in-the-wool horror dudes that consistent collaborators. They're known for Scream 5. They also made a film called Ready or Not, which starred Samara Weaving, and they made a segment in the film VHS. That's all horror stuff. Uh, they have they directed Scream 5 and Scream 6. Uh, this film was written by James Vanderbilt. So he wrote Zodiac, The Amazing Spider-Man, Independence Day Resurgence. So we've got some up, peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs, and also Scream 5. Uh, And he did work on Ready or Not as a producer. Uh, I don't know if this is a fun fact or not, but he is a member of the actual Vanderbilt family, which apparently is meant to be interesting. They're a rich New York City family who rose to prominence in the Gilded Age. Uh, It's also co-written by Guy Busick. So he's a collaborator with the directors, Bettinelli, Olpen and Gillett. So he worked with them on Scream and also Ready or Not. And apparently Busick is also going to be writing Final Destination 6. So we are firmly back in the territory of rebooting and revisiting some of these 90s, 2000s horror franchises. So the key thing to note here in Scream 6, gosh, I'm getting tangled up, Scream 6, is the setting has changed. We are not in Woodsboro anymore, Toto. And the tagline is New York, New Rules. And that's true. So basically in this film, four survivors of the events of Scream 5 leave Woodsboro for a new start and to get lost in the crowd in New York City. But unfortunately, of course, the past follows them and it wants revenge. So they're dealing with the trauma of past events, obviously, in various different ways. Um, I'm going to try and get through this without spoiling anything too much in case people haven't seen the other films. Uh, So... In terms of the core four, they some of them are doing better than others when it comes to dealing with the trauma, putting it behind them, and so on. Uh, it's basically it consists of two half sisters and a brother and a sister. And yeah, the 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 film vaguely touches on the idea of like online viral crime fanatics and theories, um, franchise fandoms, and 
you know, how, how you can move on from being in the news about an event like the killings that happened at Woodsboro in the Scream 5 film. So when I first heard that there was a change in setting, I was, it seemed kind of bold and strange to me. I was a little bit horrified by it, but they actually execute it really, really well. I think it was a really good move and it's a really easy way to freshen the franchise and flag that you are doing something totally different and not be held back by trying to fit into the same box that previous films have succeeded in. So yes, Woodsboro's old news, we've moved on. We're capitalizing on these new protagonists that were introduced in Scream 5 and we're moving forward with these characters. Or or are we? I mean, who survives? We don't know. But at the start of the film, we're intending to move forward with these characters. So it's goodbye small town, hello big city, And also, in a way, goodbye legacy characters, hello to these new characters that we're moving forward with. So before we talk about who indeed these core four are and some of the new players in our Scream franchise that we will probably be seeing more of because I think this film was fairly successful, let's have a bit of a listen to a track. We'll listen to the Scream 6 Suite, which is from the uh, score for this film. It's by Brian Tyler and Sven Falconer. It's Brian Tyler, we know pretty well here on Zero G. He worked on Iron Man 3. He's also worked on video game scoring too, Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, Far Cry 3, Call of Duty. And he also did some work on Thor The Dark World too. I said that last because I prefer to think that that film never happened. <laughs> so let's listen to Scream 6 Suite from the film Scream 6, latest in the Scream franchise. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 ha, with three exclamation marks. Yes, welcome back to Zero G. We are talking about Scream 6, the latest in the Scream franchise. And that was Scream 6 Suite by Brian Tyler and Sven Falconer. And let's talk a little bit about the characters. Who are we meant to be caring about surviving this time around? So we have... there. I'll mention the ones that are returning from Scream 5. Five. So we have Jenna Ortega playing Tara. She's a survivor. She really went through it in Scream 5. She's a very tough cookie. And all I'll say is I bet the casting director, you know, whoever's making this film must be very stoked that since she was cast and starred in Scream 5, she wasn't nearly as well known back then. Uh, Jenna Ortega has really blown up thanks to her role as Wednesday in the Netflix series. So, yeah, in a space of a year, her star has really risen. And I think that's probably going to help get audiences and seats for this, to be honest. And she's been carving a name for herself in horror a little bit too. So she did star in Scream. She also starred in another film called X, which I'm very keen to see. And the TV show You is kind of a thriller that has like a lot of murder in it and things like that. We also have Tara's older sister, Sam. So these two are kind of trading off. Like they're kind of our two new final girls. Probably attention is pretty firmly put on them, their relationship and how they are coping with the events of the previous film. So Sam is played by Melissa Barrera. And Sam also has a bit of a dark past, of course. I'll leave it at that. But I think it's a little bit of a naff idea. But they're really rolling with this idea about Sam's dark genetic past. We also have two other survivors in the mix. We have a film fanatic because we definitely always need to have a film fanatic in play. So this is Mindy. Uh, She's played by Jasmine Savoy Brown and she's related to Randy from the earlier films. 
And her brother, Chad, is also part of this core set of survivors. Uh, He's played by Mason Gooding. So that's kind of our four survivors. They also gather some other friends, acquaintances and so on introduced in this film to become suspects and or victims. And we also have Dermot Mulroney playing a detective this time around too. So he's an additional character. Samara Weaving does appear in the film early on. Wink, wink. <laughs> Don't want that to be spoiled. But yes, she was. I was happy to see her pop up. I really like her, actually. And we do see some other known characters, but I don't want to go into that too much. There is a, surpri- a surprise reintroduction of a character that I had assumed, I think me and everyone had assumed previously did. She's in the poster, so it's not really a big spoiler, but I won't mention it anyway. I guess one thing to say is Nev Campbell does not return as Sydney Prescott. So Sydney's kind of been the center of the action for most of the films. She's the original final girl and so on. And there was a bit of a fuss around this because she was not really offered uh, an amount of money that was appropriate. And so she turned down being involved. Uh, And a lot of the other actors on the Scream franchise kind of came out in support for her because she's a very key player. She's a very important character. Um, And so if she didn't feel that that was being respected, then good on her. Overall, so that's kind of where we're at. We've got the survivors from Scream 5 head off to New York City trying to start their new lives, but it's very hard to start a new life because, you know, everything always comes back. So I enjoyed this a lot. I really liked it. So I've, you know, it's been ups and downs with the rest of the films. Generally, I think some of them get a worse rap. I don't think Scream 3 is actually as bad as a lot of people would like to think. I think it's a pretty fun, frantic slasher. Um, Scream 6 has got really good chase scenes. There's a hearty amount of tension. It's all of the good stuff that you want to see. Like there's not heaps of navel gazing. There's not heaps of developing character, you know, complex and emotional character relationships. Like there's just enough of that stuff and there's a balance of wit and action. There is a little bit of exposition, but that's fine. There was also a lot of stabbing and running around, so I can forgive it. Could you watch this without watching the other films first? Technically, yes. I mean, obviously, technically, yes. But yes, you could. But there is a scene where they literally explain who of all the previous killers were. So you would have all of that spoiled for you. And this is firmly in the horror genre where the killer reveal is part of it. It's like a whodunit. As my, like, obviously, Michael Myers, we know who that is. We don't really – It's there's no big reveal like, oh, he's actually the butler. It's, but in this case, throughout the movie, you're meant to be kind of trying to guess who's behind the ghost face mask. So I would encourage you to watch the rest of the films if you haven't before checking this out. Uh, if you don't really care, you go ahead and watch this one and have a good time. I did think the reveal at the end was a little so-so. I'd kind of started to guess it a bit, but I still think the payoff and the final setting is good. The final setting is always really important in my mind. In Scream 1, it was a party, like a house party. Um... And in Scream 2, I think it was like a theatre, which is so-so. And then in 3, it was, again, it was a house. I think and it was a house party again in 4. So this time I won't say what it was. I think the setting at the end was pretty good. I thought the killer reveal was moderate. There's a lot of gory, good deaths in here. And there are some people to root for. I do think Jenna Ortega is infinitely watchable. I think she's fantastic as Tara. One thing to call out too, obviously, is... 
uh, you know, it's a diverse cast. The core four are all people of colour and, you know, it really sticks out when I go back to watch some of these old movies that I really loved that came out in the 90s and 2000s. Like they've, the cast of those films is very, very white. Uh, and so it is very nice and refreshing that um, there's, this is much more diverse cast now. Uh, some of the comedy is a little forced. I think chemistry is good, but sometimes the script really tries to force like, we're bonding, they're having a good time, they care about each other. And it just was a little heavy handed in a couple of spots. But overall, I think all of the acting was good and the chemistry between the main characters was good. And I'll also include, you know, the extraneous characters that get added in here too. Uh, there's, yeah, there's some naff scenes. Like there's this weird vision stuff that they do with like a D-age Skeet Ulrich. I love Skeet Ulrich, but I I think it's a pointless mechanic that they add. Um, but I do like, I do like that it, I liked it much more than Scream 5. I think it's starting to really let go of of this idea of the previous films, which is just going to hold hold the franchise back at this point. I think it's striking out. It's doing something new. It's be it's just leaning into being a good old slasher film, not trying to be a good Scream film, if that makes sense. I think I would definitely watch another one. I'd watch a Scream 7. I'd probably watch a Scream 20, if we're being honest. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely, Scream 5 thought it was shaking off the shadows of the original films, but I think this film is actually where we are, forging our own path and not leaning too heavily on the nostalgia piece. Uh, I do like some of the discussion that's very modern around uh, fan franchises, collectibles, people obsessed with serial killers and that. I, yeah, I think overall this is definitely a yeah for me. Scream 6, it's in cinemas now. I don't need all of my Scream movies to be exactly the same in the same place with the same characters. So this was refreshing uh, and I'll still go back and watch Scream whenever I like. So if you enjoy a good solid slasher film, uh, star, you know, ghost face mask, let's do it. That is, yeah, that is that. Scream 6, check it out if that all sounds of interest. I think that's going to be about it for Zero G for today. So we did cover The Quarry and Scream 6, had a good old slasher film game time. I'm going to have to go outside and sit in the sun and think of something happy. <laughs> but I will say both of these entries are very fun, firmly in the fun realm of horror as well. Like, uh, So, yeah, thank you very much. We have Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thanks, as always, to Alice Savage, our podcaster, and a big thank you to Rob Jan as well, of course. Looking forward to getting back on the mics with him next week. And let's go out with the iconic Scream track, Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, and, yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>